we came and noticed the same thing that uh, he brought to our attention. Attempted to get a hold of somebody that might know where he's at. Nobody had any information of his whereabouts. Uh, got a hold of his wife, who was out of, out of town for business, and she indicated he was supposed to have called her this morning at 6.30. That call never came through. Um, she became very concerned with him. Uh, we tried to call his phone. We tried to uh, do some background checks uh, as to where he might be. Uh, nobody has any information as to his whereabouts. So very suspicious at this time. Whitlock disappeared the evening of September 19th. Surveillance video showed him leaving through the back door of the corporate offices of Community Central Bank. As you know, we've been looking for David Whitlock. Anytime we're doing an investigation, we have recognized uh, over the years of service that we've provided the public. The most important part of any investigation is that first 24 to 48 hours. We continually try to press for information, try to press to try to get the answers to the question of where these missing people are. This is no different. We're speculating as to where did he go. Did he walk into the neighborhoods? Did he try to harm himself? Did he meet up with somebody, get into a vehicle, drive away? We do not have the answer to that. So what we're doing here today is if there is that likelihood or possibility that he may have tried to harm himself, could he be in one of these areas around here? Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Who Killed Amy Mihaljevic. I'm your host, Bill Huffman, and this is a podcast that takes a deep dive into cases you may not have heard of and others you may have. This week's episode is a bit of a mystery. The case involves a suspicious disappearance, a bank in the middle of a financial crisis, and a pretty shoddy autopsy. This is one of those cases where you don't understand how investigators reached their conclusions. Was this a suicide, or was this murder? This episode is one where you take the evidence, and you decide who killed David Widlack. Did you find anything? Or? No, we came up with nothing uh, that would give us any indication or any clue as to where he might be, but that's not unusual. And again, uh, it's still something we do just to try to add to you know, our, our uh, attention for the public to say, hey, if you see something, you know something's going on, please let us know. And again, the unfortunate reality is, even up until this point, there's been nothing that's come across in a transaction from anything, be it uh, some kind of a uh, techno technology, uh, whether it's his phone, uh, a computer, email, nothing has come across that uh, would give us indication that he's using it, uh, nor anything that deals with financial. According to Macomb County Sheriff Mark Hackle, David Widlack of Gross Point Farms was last seen early September 19th, 2010, at Community Central Bank's administrative offices. The 62-year-old president and chief executive of the Michigan Bank mysteriously disappeared in Mount Clemens, which is about 25 miles outside of Detroit. David Widlack was last seen wearing a gray sweatshirt with a zipper in the front and black jeans. The alarm was raised by a landscaper for the Community Central Bank on the morning of September 20th, 2010. He became concerned when he found the car of CEO David Widlack still in the parking area. The landscaper searched the building, but Widlack was nowhere to be found. After finding the CEO's office ransacked, he proceeded to call the police. Widlack had not been seen since leaving work earlier that night. When police arrived, they discovered the office to be out of sorts. 
we came and noticed the same thing that uh, he brought to our attention. Attempted to get a hold of somebody that might know where he's at. Nobody had any information of his whereabouts. Uh, got a hold of his wife, who was out of, out of town for business, and she indicated he was supposed to have called her this morning at 6.30. That call never came through. Um, she became very concerned with him. Uh, we tried to call his phone. We tried to uh, do some background checks uh, as to where he might be. Uh, nobody has any information as to his whereabouts. So very suspicious at this time. Security footage shows he had left the building around 8 p.m. In the footage, Widlack can be seen in the entryway for 26 seconds, and after that, exiting alone. There was some belief that Widlack may have left intentionally, but a missing persons report was still filed. Macomb County Sheriff Mark Hackle stated one day after the report was filed that this incident was a very, very unusual case. David Widlack was born in Detroit and put himself through the University of Michigan Law School. In 1996, he and several friends created a community central bank. He became a director in 1999 and CEO in 2000, a post that had paid him more than $300,000 a year. The mystery of the disappearance of the prominent banker David Widlack has remained just that, and it was three days into the search and police were at a loss for how few leads they had been given. The CEO had disappeared as his bank's finances had gone to hell in a handbasket. In the first half of 2010, the bank lost nearly $13 million. And like many of the banks that survived the 2008 recession, they were stuck with delinquent loans and repossessed the property. Detectives were left to go over the little information they had, and one of the things that they zeroed in on was Widlack's behavior as he left the bank on September 19th at about 8 p.m. What they did have was surveillance video. CCTV, cameras showed Widlack's car parked just outside the front entrance, but he never left out the front door. Instead, and this is where things are starting to seem a little weird, he exited out of the back door and walked toward the residential neighborhoods of the north. And the neighborhoods that Whitlock headed towards, they were actually searched by police and uh, other personnel, but they obviously came up empty. One theory police said they were working at the time was that it was very possible that a gap in the videotape is when police think that he could have possibly been driven away by a friend or a co-worker. But investigators have found no reason to suspect co-workers have helped him flee. But Hackle has stressed that nobody's been eliminated from the list of possible accomplices. And police have not ruled out foul play. And the bank was locked and protected by security equipment while Widlack was inside working on Sunday. Detectives did find his office in disarray, which was uncharacteristic for Widlack, a Gross Point Farms resident who had a knack for being neat and precise. When David Widlack was missing, bank officials remained quiet. Community Central's reputation in the business community was suffering as the disappearance gained national attention. While Widlack was still missing, the bank's stock traded on the Nasdaq exchange, but it fell to 80 cents a share at the market's close just two days after he was last seen. Police and the sheriff shared very few details and offered very little direction about the investigation, but they did say that they were searching for a body, and that would be the next step while detectives continued to comb through Wedlack's financial, phone, and computer records. Quote, you hate to talk that way about a possible suicide, 
But in this business, that's a reality, Hackle said. We're in the process of elimination, and there are a lot of theories out there. And this might be the most frustrating part of this whole thing. The sheriff said his detectives tracked down the person they believe that was the last to talk to Whitlock before he disappeared, but they didn't share any of those details with the media, at least not at that time. Investigators are working three theories. Suicide, disappearing on purpose, and foul play. And this is what they had to say in regards to those theories. With those three theories or suspicions in mind, we try to look at every one of those angles to make a determination. How could somebody have hurt him? Why would they have hurt him or brought harm to him? What would the motivation be? We have found nothing that really gives us any clear indication that somebody would do that. When it comes to harming himself, there's nobody that would give us information as to there was talk about it, thought of it, uh, anything that really was substantial enough to say that he may have brought harm to himself. And uh, when it comes to his just uh, walking away or uh, disappearing, we look at all those angles too. Why isn't he accessing any bank accounts, phone records, emails? Uh, there's just nothing there to give us any indication that he just uh, that he just up and walked away uh, either. Sheriff's investigators have checked his cell phone records and they inspected all of his financial transactions. The Macomb County Sheriff's de- deputies and local volunteers, they did launch a search that Tuesday along the Clinton River and the nearby neighborhoods that Widlack was last seen walking towards. David's wife, since 2004, and partner at the Detroit-based labor and employment law firm Nemeth Burwell PC, offered a brief but impassioned plea for the assistance in the search for her husband. appreciate having the opportunity to speak on behalf of my family. Uh, thank you all in the community for cooperating with the police. Uh, we are looking for public support and helping to find Dave. Dave, if you're hearing this, please come home. To all of you in the community, please continue to assist law enforcement and try to help in every way you can. We are deeply appreciative of your help, and thank you for your ongoing concern. Thank you. Hackle said his detectives have not ruled out a suicide or a stealthy escape by Widlack because of his bank's financial issues. So nonetheless, 70 sheriff's reserve officers searched on foot, on bikes, on ATVs, and they scoured up and down the river, the banks, and all the way down I-94. Two helicopters assisted in the search, and they hovered overhead just to see if they had any sight of David Widlack. So at this point in time, they had found no evidence of missing money from the bank, no evidence that Widlack had personal financial problems, no evidence that co-workers or business associates might have helped him flee, no evidence that he boarded a flight at any Detroit-area airport, No evidence that he fled the country, no evidence that he had family or marital problems, and no suicide note. So this is a mystery. Hackle said investigators are considering the possibility that Widlack left and seriously harmed himself, although no evidence at this point points towards suicide versus flight or foul play. So the volunteers assisted the deputies in the search on the Clinton River, between downtown Mount Clemens and I-94 and some of the surrounding residential neighborhoods on the city's east side. Ray Colonius, the chief financial officer of Community Central, put himself as acting CEO in Widlack's absence, but said to say that he will be missed is beyond an understatement. The business was reportedly on the decline, though, at the Community Central Bank. According to the Detroit News, the bank had a $13 million loss in the first half of 2010. 
And I'm quoting from the Wall Street Journal here. Quote, Shortly after Mr. Widlack disappeared, rumors spread that he had embezzled millions of dollars. Depositors withdrew $33 million. The bank's stock, which trades on the NASDAQ at that time, fell from $1.10 a share to $0.58 cents in three days. So the bank appointed an interim CEO and started an audit. But the Daily Tribune reported at the time that from a legal standpoint, the board appointment was permanent, and Whitlack had essentially been fired as a president and CEO of the Mount Clemens lender. Some of the board members spoke at the time, quote, He wouldn't ever come back expecting to get his job back, board member Gabron Anton told the newspaper. I'm sure he wouldn't get rehired. Macomb County authorities continued to search for Widlack, and Sheriff Mark Hackle has said that there were very few leads in this case, but lots of speculation. A couple of the theories rumored, more than others, such as, one, the back door of the bank was propped open during the time that Mr. Widlack was working at the bank, unlike previously reported. Two, his wife suspects foul play. She apparently had been told by David that he was concerned about some secret investors. And three, there was a potential gambling connection because two former bank officials had told the Macomb Daily that Widlack had had some serious gambling problems in the 90s when he lived in Las Vegas before returning to Michigan. Widlack's wife, Anne, denied that her husband ever engaged in excessive gambling. She said she was convinced that Widlack had become the victim of foul play after he left the bank's headquarters on the night of September 19th. Another theory that has been tossed around was the idea that a deal had collapsed, and there was some speculation that he may have had one final piece in place for the financing that he needed for his bank. Because Cranes Detroit reported that Widlack's bank, Community Central, had a capital shortage, one so bad it put the bank in the crosshairs of regulators. The bank planned to move forward with the sale of the common stock, despite Widlack's disappearance. They hoped to raise at least $20 million by the end of 2010. The interim CEO said, quote, We work with consultants and investment bankers on stock sales, and these people are still out there working for us. Dave was certainly instrumental to that process, but we still plan to proceed with our capital raising efforts. Nothing will be stopped. Paul Widlack told the Detroit Free Press on November 12th, the day before his brother was last seen alive, that he was actually seen flipping through a catalog and picking out shirts and hats for his family's annual trip around Thanksgiving. The family had been making these annual out-of-country jaunts for roughly 20 years, and they never, the family that is, believed that he walked away. And according to Paul, Dave looked forward to these events and really had fun planning them. And in regards to the theory about the back door, Sheriff Hackle said that they had learned at some point during that Sunday evening that Widlack had the back door open and that another person had been in the office with him. Another report that is contrary to the initial report. Sheriff's deputies continued to search the nearby Clinton River but did not find anything. During the search, investigators learned that Widlack last used his cell phone that Sunday evening from St. Clair Shores, Lake St. Clair, which was also searched, but nothing was found there either. By the middle of October, there were still no signs of David Widlack. Bank examiners expected the broker may have killed himself due to unforeseen reasons. 
Questions remained about why Widlack had purchased a handgun just a few weeks before he went missing. Widlack may have purchased the gun for self-protection, or the pressures he felt from the financial quagmire that he had gotten himself into. He may have felt pressured by the financial troubles at the bank. But again, everything changed on the evening of October 17th when two duck hunters found the decomposing body of one David Widlack in a swamp just about four miles from his bank. And here are some things that David Widlack had on his body and some of the things that police knew at the time that he disappeared. One, he was found with his passport. None of his vehicles were missing. Widlack owned two guns, but only one had been found by police. And it was pretty common for Widlack to work on weekends. That Sunday, the 19th, he actually had shown up at the bank at about 4 p.m. on that Sunday. So he was last seen 8 p.m. leaving the back door. And <clears throat> this is just quoting an article from the Wall Street Journal again in that from that October about the discovery of Widlack's body. And it really does a good job of laying out the financial issues that the bank was facing and how investigators were just sort of throwing out ideas while he was missing. So according to the journal, quote, the Macomb County medical examiner found no obvious wounds, no blunt force trauma, the officials said. The death may have been a drowning. Frequently, family members were told people commit suicide without leaving a note. So stands the mysterious death of Mr. Widlack, the 62-year-old chief executive of Community Central Bank, which he founded with friends in 1996 and which had suffered its fair share of troubles through the months of a crippling recession and a lukewarm recovery. Like many other small banks, Community Central, with assets of about $500 million, was significantly undercapitalized. As of September 30, 2010, its reserves were less than half of what regulators required. More than 7% of their outstanding loans were delinquent. When he disappeared, Mr. Widlack had raised about $8 million of the $10 million that he had sought to shore up the bank's finances. Now, detectives pursued the theory that he had absconded with the money. But week after week, they were checking all these resorts in the Caribbean, said Paul Widlack with David's brother. And the discovery of David Widlack's body a month after his disappearance turned the missing person case into a homicide investigation. It became this whole urban legend, says John Forlini, owner of the Shea Casa, a coffee house around the corner from Community Central Bank. Quote, at first people figured that he was sipping tequila on a beach or something. Now everyone is just scratching their heads and waiting for the next shoe to drop. Friends and family discount suicide. In the weeks before his death, Mr. Widlack had gotten a flu shot and made a payment for a family trip to Puerto Rico over Thanksgiving. Mr. Widlack was married with eight grandchildren and even emailed a brother on the day he disappeared. He went missing on September 19th, a Sunday. Mr. Widlack drove his Lincoln 2010 MKS to the bank in the historic downtown area of Clinton River. Apparently, Mr. Widlack had been flirting with a woman at work who was also in the building that day. Mr. Widlack that day called a former FBI agent who had done occasional background checks for the bank. And Mr. Widlack had told his wife and the bank's investigators that he had concerns about three potential investors. He scheduled a breakfast meeting with the investigator for the following Wednesday. Macomb County Sheriff Mark Hackle said investigators have spoken to every person of interest in the case. 
but he wouldn't comment specifically on the existence of three investors. Questions are being raised about whether Widlack was forced to the location or walked there on his own. How or why did his cell phone activate at close to midnight the night he vanished? Quote, until toxicology results are known, police say they will treat this case as a homicide until they can prove otherwise, although they acknowledge it's likely he drowned in the lake. The family had posted a $10,000 reward. Now, Macomb County Sheriff Mark Hackle determined that a thirty-eight caliber revolver belonging to Mr. Widlack was missing from his office. A second gun, another thirty-eight semi-automatic, was found in the office closet, but still in its packaging. And Mr. Widlack had purchased the gun during the summer. Paul Widlack said that was kind of unusual because he wasn't really a gun person. It is a positive identification. The body found in the waters of Lake St. Clair is the banker who has been missing for nearly a month now. This afternoon, the Macomb County Medical Examiner ruled out blunt force trauma as the cause of death. But questions still remain, of course, into just how David Whitlock died. Community Central Bank, where Widlack worked, issued a statement today. It reads, the staff, management, and board of Community Central Bank are deeply saddened to learn of this development, and we offer our thoughts, prayers, and condolences to his family. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. The family was told by the coroner, Daniel Spitz, that Mr. Widlack's body showed no obvious wounds. Widlack's wallet, wedding ring, cash, and other personal items were on him, but a hat, jacket, and a fanny pack were not located. He was wearing the same clothing he had on the night that he was captured on that surveillance tape, so officials didn't think he was really on the loose or on the run. Officials believe Widlack entered the water near where his body was found and had probably been in the same location for the whole month that he had been missing. The area had received a visual search early in the investigation, but police do not believe the body would have been visible from the street. And according to the sheriff, the body of a drowning victim can take up to three days to rise to the surface. Widlack's disintegrated body was discovered in a lake four miles from his bank. Noticing that there were no indications of wounds on Widlack's body, the inspector presumed that Widlack had died by suicide. And we know that Widlack's family did not agree, and they ordered a second exam. As mentioned before, the primary autopsy had missed a slug that was found in the back of Widlack's neck. He had been shot execution-style in the back of the head, and examiners found his missing firearm in the territory where his body was found. The coroner asserted that he misread the X-beam results. Examiners have renamed Widlack's case as unsolved manslaughter. However, they still have few leads. Widlack was searching for new investors before his disappearance, driving some to recommend that his homicide might be associated with a potential business opportunity. The discovery of the body has raised more questions than it has answered. And one of the questions is, how did Widlack, who was last seen walking out the back door of the bank, arrive where he actually 
was found, which was a distance of about four miles. How uh, he got there, we, we don't really know for 100% certainty. Uh, why he decided to choose that location, or if that was of his own choosing, uh, we don't know for 100% certainty. Uh, but the speculation is, is that uh, he, he walked down to that location in that area, and uh, that's where he uh, entered the water. The family issued a statement thanking the community for the support that the people have shown them. And the family has released a statement. It reads in part, we are deeply touched by the concerns and support that people have shown our family. It continues, Dave was and is loved and respected, and his loss leaves an enormous void in many lives. Family members have been quoted as saying they still suspect foul play in the case, adding Whitlock had recently expressed concern about some potential new investors in the bank. Business Insider had a good article titled The Mysterious Unknowns in the Case of the Michigan Banker Who Was Shot Execution Style. And it reads, Whitlock's disappearance, the discovery of his body on the shores of the lake over a month later, and the discovery that he died from an execution-style gunshot wound to the head, which was missed, obviously, in the first autopsy, make the case that the former banker may be the first banker murder of the financial crisis era. And I thought that was an interesting perspective to have. And here are the questions that remain surrounding the inexplicable timeline that led to his death. Why did he leave the bank on foot? When Widlack left the office at 8 p.m., he left his car in the parking lot. Why? Also, the next day, his office was found in disarray. Was this something that Widlack did? Why are police investigating a call that Widlack made to an East Hampton golf club on the afternoon he vanished? Also, police said there was activity on his cell phone around midnight on the night he vanished. What does that mean? If you're planning to commit suicide, it seems strange that if Whitlack was going to kill himself, why would he go through the trouble of calling a New York golf club? And this more so follows the homicide thesis. A gambler. He was apparently a pretty... The high-end gambler back in the 90s, but had recovered from his addiction to gambling and had not been an issue in Michigan, I guess. But there's a gun purchase, and so why did Widlack buy a gun for his office a couple weeks before he vanished? And could this be related to his concern about that new investor that his wife had reported to the police? Dr. Spitz of Macomb County blamed antiquated equipment for missing the gunshot wound in his first examination and also points out how badly decomposed the body was would have led him to possibly miss the bullet. Whitlack's case is a real-life murder mystery in the financial crisis era. A former county prosecutor predicts that the case will soon become a murder investigation in which detectives will begin scrutinizing Whitlack's activities over many months in the search for patterns or aberrations. And this is just something I need to mention because this case has a crazy connection to the Kaylee Anthony trial. Daniel Spitz's father is Dr. Werner Spitz, one of the most respected forensic scientists in the world. The name may not sound familiar, or maybe it does, but this guy is a legend in the business. He's spent more than 45 years working on some of the most high-profile cases that you have ever heard of. He actually served on two of the panels that investigated the death of President John F. Kennedy. And he said immediately he ruled out any notion of a conspiracy in Kennedy's death because the president's next 
neck wound proved the bullet was fired from behind him. Spitz testified in the Casey Anthony murder trial. During the trial, Spitz told the jury he thought it was a shoddy investigation and that the autopsy conducted by the Orlando medical examiner was flawed. His father has had only a few high-profile cases, something like the assassination of Martin Luther King, the Night Stalker Richard Ramirez, the preppy murder trial of Robert Chambers, O.J., John Benet, Kaylee Anthony, Mary Jo Kopechny, and if you've watched The Keepers, the murder of Sister Kathy Susnick. So I want to quote something from the Macomb Daily. An investigator went over Mr. Whitlack's appointment book, phone records, travel records, financial activity, casual relationships, and personal relationships. If the evidence is conclusive that the death was by execution, a potential organized crime connection should be considered. So they're also going to investigate a tip given to them by Whitlack's family, who said they had safety concerns about this potential new investor in the bank. There were also suggestions that Whitlack's death was linked to the crushing debt the bank faced in that $13 million that I had mentioned before. And there were allegations that surfaced that the banker is and was, you know, a former gambling addict. But again, like I've told you before, that has been denied. Dr. Spitz will still to this day maintain that the new evidence does not eliminate the possibility of suicide. However, when the family hired Dr. Dragovich out of Oakland County coroner's office, he was able to doubt the suicide verdict, and he had never seen any results like the ones that he was seeing in the Widlack file. And Spitz said, although it may sound odd, it is not impossible for the wound to have been self-inflicted. Dragovich was quoted as saying he didn't feel it was physically possible for someone to shoot himself in the back of the head, and the former county prosecutor agrees with Dr. Dragovich. A fatal gunshot in the back of the head almost certainly would not result in, the, result in the suicide or a common street crime. A gun owned by Widlack, which authorities had been searching for since he disappeared in late September, was found in the waters near where the body was discovered. And Sheriff Hackle said that Ann McIntyre, president of the community's central wealth management, one of the bank's divisions, she was the last person to have seen Widlack alive on the day that he went missing, but she had been cleared of any involvement. Hackle said McIntyre was at the bank working that Sunday. Her name subsequently surfaced in rumors of a possible affair, and apparently that led the banker to be despondent. The sheriff said McIntyre has passed two polygraphs, and the investigators are sure that she had no romantic relationship with David Widlack. Hackle said that there was also no indication that she was involved in his death in any way, shape, or form. And when asked about the possible affair, he said, quote, Absolutely not. She had no romantic relationship with him whatsoever. Because she was the last person to know him or see him alive, we talked to her more than anyone else who was involved. She and her attorney have been very cooperative from the start. She answered every one of our questions. She passed both of her polygraphs and answered every question truthfully. Hackle said Widlack's wife, Ann Widlack, a partner in the Detroit law firm, was told before the press conference that police were going to tell the media that Widlack's death is believed to have been that of a suicide. 
Hackle said Whitlock's wife agreed with his finding and that she was very appreciative of the fact that they were very forthcoming with her. But she gave no indication that she was upset with their conclusion. Hackle went on to say that some of the evidence pointing to suicide included the fact that Whitlock didn't wear his expensive watch that day. He wore walking shoes instead of business shoes. And he attempted to erase the memory from his GPS unit in his, in his car and delete a lot of the files from his iPad and computer files. Hackle also said that Whitlock was found with a piece of paper clutched in his hand, but it had deteriorated and the crime lab could not determine what it said or if it was a suicide note. He said he couldn't speculate on whether Whitlock had shot himself near the back of the neck to hide the fact that it was a suicide or whether there was a financial motive because of insurance policies to cover up such a suicide. Hackle said police think Whitlock walked the four miles from downtown Mount Clemens to Lake St. Clair based on the cell phone records showing earlier calls that made that day. A forensic examination at the bank by the accounting firm did not show any irregularities among David Whitlock's transactions. And at the time of the disappearance, Whitlock was in the process of organizing the sale of $20 million in bank stocks just to meet the federal regulatory requirements. That sale has now been put on hold, and obviously that sale never went through. Uh, The troubled bank actually ended up having to sign a consent decree by regulators to raise money and improve their procedures. The estate of former Community Central Bank Corp. CEO David Widlack quietly settled two lawsuits that sought more than $500,000 in combined damages that were connected to his past work as an attorney. In both civil suits, one brought against Widlack in 2009 in Macomb County and another against his estate last May in Wayne County, Widlack allegedly borrowed assets from other businesses and investments before he became the bank CEO in 2006, and he only partially repaid them before his death. Linda Thomas of Gross Point Woods sought $420,000 at Wayne County Probate Court in May against Widlack's estate and as a shareholder derivative action against Henderson Holdings, LLC, after she allegedly went lent Widlack trust funds to acquire a Ford Motor Company dealership in Amsterdam. In Macomb County, the estate of Elizabeth Serget sought $125,000 in damages against Widlack, EWG of Nevada, Incorporated, and Western Surety Company, the company that bonded Widlack as a court-appointed court conservator. Widlack owned EWG, a Nevada corporation that borrowed about $150,000 from Surgett's estate between 1998 and 2000. That money was used to invest in another company that provided extended warranties on computer equipment, which attorneys have said later went out of business. He was also a managing member of Henderson Holdings and a co-trustee with Linda Thomas, according to the Wayne County lawsuit. Widlack's estate settled the Thomas case earlier this month, along with a fee dispute that was still lingering in the Sergette case. Less than a year after David Widlack, the president of Community Central Bank, went missing, the bank that he ran was shut down by the state. And according to Jason Moon, the spokesman for the Michigan Office of Financial and Insurance Regulation, the Community Central Bank had to be closed because of its declining assets. So it was in April that the FDIC and the Michigan Office of Financial and Insurance Regulation shut the bank down. 
The former bank's stock had opened at $1.16 the day after Widlack disappeared and closed at $0.12 on its final day. Unfortunately, that's all the evidence that has ever come out about David Widlack, and there has never been any follow-up on the supposed potential investors. They've ruled the case a suicide. The family does not agree, so this case technically remains open. But if you do have any information, I'm sure the authorities in Macomb County would love to hear from you. So in that regard, this case is definitely still open. But it is such a mystery that one a person would be able to disappear that way, you know, in the middle of modern 2010 and to not have been seen on any other surveillance videos and then lead them to believe that he was not murdered. I mean, he had a bullet in the back of his head. So there are a lot of questions that remain unanswered. So if you'd like to learn more about this case, I will provide links on my website, whokilledamymihalovic.com, as well as in the show notes. So again, I do appreciate you taking the time to listen. I'm going to leave this one on you. So this one, you decide who killed. David Widlack. Thank you again for listening. You can follow me on Twitter at BillHuffman3 or on Facebook at Who Killed Amy Mihaljevic. If you enjoy this independently produced podcast, please help support the show by clicking on the donate button on the bottom left or right on WhoKilledAmyMihaljevic.com or via the Venmo app with my username BillHuffman3. Any amount is appreciated and it helps keep the podcast running. If you do enjoy this podcast, please leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. It will help support the show and helps keep Amy's case in the spotlight. You can contact the Bay Village Police Department at 440-871-1234 if you have any information. The FBI is offering a reward of up to $25,000 for any information leading to the arrest and conviction of the individual or individuals responsible for the death of Amy Renee Mihaljevic. Anyone with information concerning her case can please contact the FBI at 1-800-CALL-FBI. Anyone with information regarding the death of 62-year-old David Widlack, you can also contact the FBI at 1-800-CALL-FBI. Thank you again for listening this week. Until next time, be safe. Hi, this is Amy and Vanessa from She Goes by Jane, where we shine light on the stories of missing and unidentified women. On November 7th, we're sharing Nahida's story for the first time in a podcast. And this is a story that I thought I knew, but after reading police reports, became more complicated than I thought. When investigators are called to Nahida Khatib's house, everything looks fine. Her purse is on the kitchen table, her cup of coffee is on the counter, and her two-year-old niece is in her playpen. The only thing amiss? Nahida is missing. Every week, we feature a poem written in honor of the person we're talking about. This week, we're joined by one of our favorite actresses. You might know her from Sister Act or King of the Hill or The Descendants. But if you're like us, you'll know her from Hocus Pocus. 
She's the much-beloved Kathy Najimy. Join us November 7th to hear Nahida's story. I want to take a moment to tell you about my podcast, Carol Costello Presents Blind Rage. In 1984, a woman named Phyllis Cottle was abducted in broad daylight, tortured, and left to die in a burning car in Akron, Ohio. At the time, I was a rookie reporter covering this horrific story. Since then, I've reported every kind of crime imaginable. I've been able to leave most of them at work, but not this one. The one that buried itself under my skin and stayed put. Phyllis Cottle was a badass woman, and I want to tell you her story. A production of Evergreen Podcasts and signature title of the Killer Podcast Network. You can find Carol Costello Presents Blind Rage wherever you get your podcasts. Discover more great true crime and paranormal programming at killerpodcast.com.